So glad to be with you guys this morning. Um, man, I, I've been, been going to the gym. I started going to the gym this week, and that's been a heck of a time. Um, and I realized, like, going to the gym made me start to look at my identity, which is weird, right? Um, so I started looking at my identity and things that I believed to be true and things that um, I didn't believe to be true. So there was like, so look, going to the gym and you're like, how did you get this deep by going to the gym? Because like, as I'm going to the gym, like I go with um, brothers in Christ, Antonio in the back there and we're lifting and I'm like, I don't got anything left. And Antonio's like, keep going, keep going, you know? And I'm like, eee. Like, so weak, like, he's like, you got to look at yourself in the mirror and keep going. And I'm like, you know, um, and that's biblical right there. And so, and it, and it made me like really identify all the things, um, all the ideas, because your mind is telling you like, I can't do this. I don't want to do this. Right. But your body's like one more. And Antonio's like, keep going. And I'm like, I'm trying. Um, and it brought up like my identity and I started to like look at the things at my identity that I validated as truth and are not. Because your identity affects your behaviors and your habits. And so I was just like, well, why am I going to the gym? I mean, nothing's going to change. If you go to the gym that way, if you go to the, the gym thinking like, oh, I'm trying to get into the habit of this, you're never going to get in the habit of this. You're, and that's with anything. And so I started to think like, you know what, I'm going to make health a part of my identity and I'm not worried about the outcome of, of me going to the gym. I just need to get in, the, in, the, in my identity that I just want to be healthy. And this is a part of the process. And so on my drives to the gym, I'm having all these thoughts of like, what other things have we attached to our identity about us that's not true, nor is it godly? I'm not resourced enough, I don't have the right job, I'm not in the right place, I'm not in the right position, da 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 And all these things about your identity begin to impact your behaviors. That's why you may eat the way you do, or you may watch the shows that you watch, or all these things in life, and you're just like, whoa, 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 God, what are the things that you speak over me that are true? And so I've identified, I've been identifying some lies that have attached themselves to my personality of like, oh, you're just always going to be the big guy, the heavy set guy forever. And it's like, no, 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 that's not who I am. I'm uniquely made in Christ Jesus. And so it's taking the lie and attaching a truth to it and saying, no, 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 I'm fearfully and wonderfully made in Christ Jesus. And this is the way that I'm at. And if I lose more weight, amen. And if I don't, amen. But I am uniquely crafted into the image that God created me and I'm enough. And if, if I never have a six pack, which I'm enough. <laughs> I'm okay with this barrel. I'm all right. I earned it, you know? This barrel got a story. This is my story. This is my song. <laughs> Praising my Savior all the day long. And so I just wanted to tell you, like, I want to bring you guys on a, on a journey of, like, maybe this week or maybe it's not your season to do this, but hopefully, like, you start questioning your identity and the things that you allowed yourself to believe about yourself. I always find it sad 
um, I used to work uh, for a technology company, is when people would come in and they'd say something like, I'll just never get this, I'm just not good with technology. What? Like, it's kind of like they just give up, you know? And for us, that statement looks different, right? I'll never eat well, I just can't do that. I'll never run that race, I just can't do that. I'll just never, and these are things that have made, made it a part of your identity, of like you just can't. This week has been a, a week of just like, no, I can. I can. If I become disciplined, if I pray, I can do these things. And so that, that's not in the notes. Um, I just wanted to share that with you guys of what things are you believing that have attached themselves to your identity that you have has no reason to be there anymore, you know? So let's pray. Father, we just thank you for this word. We just thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're here right now. Fill me up as I preach your word. Let every single word just honor you. I'm going to get out the way you get in the way. Reveal your heart to us through this text. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. Last week, last week we ended with Mordecai finding out that Haman put out an edict to kill him and all of the Jews wherever they are. It's wild. They put out an edict to kill all of them. And we ended last week with, whenever you make a stand for Christ, you're always going to make a scene. You're always going to stand out because whenever you stand for Christ, while everyone's maybe kneeling down, you're going to stand up for Christ. And when you stand up for Christ, it puts a target on your back. And so now Mordecai, not only did he get a target on his back, but he has a target on all of his people's back as well. And, and there are a lot of times when you make a stand for Christ that it will put a target on your back. It will put a target on your back. And I want to let you know today that that target, though you may become comfortable sometimes, that target does bring some grief and sadness. It does. It's a part of life. I want to read to you starting in chapter 4. It says, When Mordecai learned all that had been done, he tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and ashes, and went out into the city wailing loudly and bitterly. But he only went as far as the king's gate because no one clothed in sackcloth was allowed to enter it. In every province to which the edict and the order of the king came, there was a great mourning among the Jews, with fasting, weeping, and wailing, many lay in sackcloth and ashes. Many lay in sackcloth and ashes. This was no regular kind. He wasn't just upset, right? It wasn't him being upset. He was filled with grief. He put on sackcloth. That's like sleeping in burlap. It is dried out camel's hair or goat's hair. And he put on sackcloth and he put ashes on his head to show the type of grief he was going through. This wasn't just a bad moment. This was horrible. This was traumatic. I am in utter grief. Has anyone else struggled with grief? Anyone get overwhelmed with grief? No, me just by myself. Okay, well, let me tell you about grief. Grief is not fun. 
And we've been conditioned as a culture to believe these habits about grief. And these are the things that are not true. Because a lot of times when a lot of us are going through grief, what are we told? Don't make it public. Right? Has anyone been told that before? Right? I know especially in, in, the, in the culture that I grew up in, you got to be strong. You can't show it. Men, right? You can't show that you're grieving. You can't show that you're weak. You got to be strong. Don't cry. Real boys don't cry. Real men don't cry. We have been conditioned to believe that. Don't let anyone see. Don't make your grief public. Hold it all in. Don't let anyone see you're upset. But here, Mordecai, not only does he put on things on his body to signify he's going through grief, he goes out wailing, and he's in front of his entire community crying, so much so to go in front of the king's gate to show his grief, to show his anguish. The other thing that we're taught about grief is to ignore it. Because if you ignore your grief, it'll go away. Anyone else still dealing with grief from years ago that you're like, oh, I thought I ignored it? I thought I pushed it down because if I push it down enough and I put it to the side enough, it'll, I just can just compartmentalize it and it'll go away. But we find that we're going through life and things are triggering the grief that we thought we could put in a box. Because grief doesn't only impact one area of life, it begins to impact many areas of your life. Some of us are still grieving over a breakup that we had two to three years ago. But we were told not to make it public. We were told not to go talk to anyone about it, that, oh, it's okay. Here's the most frustrating thing that we as Christians do, and it's the most frustrating thing, and it breaks my heart, is when someone's going through grief, sometimes we think, oh, if I could just throw a Bible verse on it, it'll make the grief go away. Like it's a spoonful of sugar. Here's a Bible verse that has nothing to do with what you're going through, but here, let me force feed you this grief because we, I don't, it, see the thing is when you're going through grief, it makes other people uncomfortable. Why are you grieving? Or you want to know the most heartless thing people say? I don't know what you're upset about. At least you have, oh man, that's heartless. That's heartless. I don't know what you're grieving about. I don't know what you're sad about. At least you have this. Or when you're grieving and someone's like, but there's a lot of good things going on in your life. Whether it be the loss of a relationship, the loss of a loved one, the loss of a friendship. Man, and the thing is, like, people don't even have to die for you to grieve. Some of y'all think, like, oh, someone has to, like, a big event, like someone passing away, you have to grieve. No, no, no. It could just be like, wow, this friendship is gone now. I thought we were going to, like, ride or die forever, and it's gone Wow, my, my family really just like, they just canceled me. Like, they're gone. And some of us need to just grieve and spend time in grieving. And be okay with being vulnerable and saying, I, I'm not okay. I'm not okay. I want to be okay, but I'm not okay. I lost this friendship. I lost this relationship. I lost this job. And I need, you have to understand, grieving is a part of the healing process. It's a part of it. Some of us want to skirt around it as Christians, and we're taught to just be like, just ignore it. Here's a Bible verse, slap. Just ignore it. No, you have to identify with grieving. Because when you identify with grief, in your healing process, you can identify with grief in someone else. Hey, I don't know if you notice, 
But as a friend, I want to let you know that you're grieving right now. And I know it hurts. I want to make a public apology. Um, as a pastor, as a leader, as a Christian, I want to make a public apology and I want to apologize to every single person in this room that uh, a, a leader, that a brother or sister in Christ, that someone in, someone in the church world did not create space for you to grieve. I want to say sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry for the times when we threw a Bible verse in a grieving moment. I'm sorry. I'm sorry for the times when us, because it's us, I'm sorry for the times when we ran away, when your grieving got messy. I'm sorry. Not all of us know how to deal with grief. And if you've never heard it before ever in your life, I want you to hear it from me. I am sorry that we didn't grieve when you grieved, or I don't even know the right tense of that, but I'm just going to say it that way. I'm sorry that it didn't break us the way it broke you. I'm sorry that when you got messy in your grief, because how many of us do messy things when we're grieving, right? Come on. It's a, it's a part of life. I mean, Mordecai was messy, ashes and sackcloth in public. He didn't hide it. He didn't go into a room. He went out in public. And there are some of you guys who are grieving in public, and you don't even know it. Some of you guys are triggered. So how do I know that you're still grieving? Because that name, that situation comes up, and you're like, oh, it's still there. I'm sorry that some of us ran away from you when your grieving got messy. Grieving is messy. It's messy. So as a pastor, as your friend, as a leader, I want to apologize. Because I know... That sometimes some of us, we meant well, but we didn't take the time to empathize with your grief, and I'm sorry. It's okay to grieve. It's okay, and, it's, and when you grieve, the best place, there are two great places to take your grief. Take it to Christ. God, I'm grieving. And here's the thing. God doesn't rush you in your moment of grief. God is not like, could you hurry up? Can we get to the part where you're praising me and thanking me? That's not God. That's not God. So if you've ever been presented God in that manner, that is not him. He mourns with those who mourns. He, he grieves with you when you're crying. He doesn't say, hurry up, like you're on a timer. I got to do other good things in your life. He's like, no, if you're grieving, I'm grieving with you. I'm going to sit here with you, and I'm going to grieve. And if it takes you a day, it takes you a day. If it takes you a week, it takes you a week. If it takes you a month, it takes you a month. I am here with you. And sometimes, for a lot of us, God is like, hey, I also want to give you wisdom in your grief to maybe go see a therapist, all right? So we can talk about these things, or maybe see a friend that you can talk about these things. I'm going to direct some people into your life that can help you work through this grief. Because you know when grief becomes a heaviness, you know when grief becomes comes the worst you know when grief becomes super heavy is when you're carrying it by yourself some of you guys are carrying this grief by yourself and you've been carrying it the past couple years and it grieves you and it blows my mind because when I look at Jesus and when he was carrying the cross even he had help carrying that grief of a cross don't carry grief alone because something that you're carrying alone will end up burying you. Don't carry grief alone. 
you got to go to a therapist, go to a therapist. If you got to see friends, see friends. If you got to talk, talk it out. And I don't want to just sit here and, and say like, oh, let's throw a Bible verse at your grief. No. There's a time for that. There's a moment for that. There is. Don't get me wrong. I, and I'm not, and I'm not like pulling power away from the verses. There's a time when Bible verses need to come and begin to flood you. But there's a time where you just got to sit and be like, I'm just sad and filled with anguish. And I just need to get it out. Mourn with those who mourn. Cry with those who cry. If you got to make it public, make it public. Because you want to know the truth about grief. Depending on how long it lasts, because sometimes it lasts longer than you expect it to. At some point, you, you use your grief and it becomes a strength. See, this is where we as believers, this is a moment for us. When we see people who don't know Jesus, who are far from Jesus, and who can't trust God, where we come up next to them and we go, I know exactly what you're going through. And I know, I know, I know. You, someone probably told you all the Christian things, and they said all the, I know, I'm just going to grieve with you. If we got to sit here in silence, we got to sit here in silence. If we got to go out and eat, we got to go out and eat. If we just need to go do whatever, but I am going to grieve with you. I am with you in this moment. And guess what? You may get a little messy, and that's okay. I'm not going to question your faith because I know you're in a tough moment. I'm not going to question. And if you get a little messy, I'm not going to let you get out of control. I'm going to be there to be like, no, 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 I'm with you. The most powerful things I, I, you can ever say to someone, especially in a season of grief, is I see you and I'm with you. And no matter how long it takes, I'm with you in this moment because here's Mordecai publicly displaying his grief. All my people are about to die and he's publicly displaying his grief. It's okay to not be okay. Today's a good day to take off the mask. Today's a good day to say, man, I... I, man, I am grieving from that breakup. I am grieving from that loss. And if I just need to be by myself for a minute, I'm going to do that. I'm grieving from that betrayal. It's okay to grieve. It's okay to grieve. And here's the thing. Let's continue. It says, when Esther used, Esther's eunuchs and female attendants came and told her about Mordecai, she was in great distress. She sent clothes for him to put on instead of his sackcloth, but he would not accept him accept them can I be real in this moment can I I need a verbal affirmation of yes all right cool cool because I don't want to say something like I didn't say yes pastor you just went there some of us are holding on to a grudge with someone who meant well but didn't know what we were going through we're sitting in this room and we're angry at the person see Esther sent clothes to be like, hey, change. Like, here's some royal robes. Change. I see something's going on. And she meant well, right? And he rejects them. But she doesn't know what's going on. 
She has no idea how many of us in our life have someone came to us in, in our grieving, in our sadness, in our anguish, in our loneliness, in these emotions, and they come and they mean well, but they just fumble the ball. And we just get so angry with them, and you're like, you see how insensitive they are? And they're just like, I'm so sorry. Because if we're going to be transparent, a lot of people don't know how to deal when someone's grieving. Because some people have never had to deal with grief, and God bless them, you know? So they don't know how to deal when you're in grief, and, and they mean well, and they come along, and they're like, I don't know what to do. And they make a mess. And we're just so angry with them. And we're just so frustrated with them because they just didn't know what to do. And here's the thing. Some of us have been that person where we fumbled the ball. We went to someone and we thought we knew what we were going to say. And we fumble it and we make a mess. And then that person is mad at us. And we're like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean it that way. I just thought like I wanted to help in some way. I didn't mean to cause this more drama. I just... I don't know how to deal, and this is all I know. This is Esther. She's trying to talk to Mordecai. I see that you're sad. I see that you're grieving. I see your sackcloth and ashes, and I don't know what to do, so I'm going to send you some clothes to change out of it because I don't want to see you that way. And she means well. And people who come into our lives are like, I don't want to see you hurting. I don't want to see you upset, especially if you're a parent. You don't want to see your kids sad, or if you see a family, family member, you don't want to see them sad or broken. And she goes, hey, change it. He goes, no. Let me sit in this. If you don't know what to do when people are grieving, the best thing that you can do is pray. And I'm not saying that as like a, sometimes you hear that and you're like, that just seems like, you know, the thing to do. Listen, if prayer is not your first resource, what else is it going to be? Because I don't, someone who's grieving, I don't necessarily have to go up to them and say something. I could just sit right at my desk, be right in my home and be like, God, I don't know what to say to them. I don't know what the right thing is to say. And I know they're going through something. I don't know what to say. So could you show me what to pray for? Can, I mean, he's already given you what to pray for if you acknowledge that they're in grief. God, I don't know what they're going through. I don't know the details of the situation, but I know they're hurting. Can you show me how to pray? Can you show me what not to say? Can you give me wisdom on how to meet them where they are? I had a coworker who he was going through a time of grief and I knew what was going on and he walked in and I could see it all over his face and I couldn't say anything but I'm sorry and I said let me just pray for you because that's all I know how to do. You have to understand that prayer can be the very thing that they need. It's always the very thing that they need, whether it's with them or away from them. Some of you guys are around coworkers, friends, peers, and you're like, I don't know what you're going through. I don't know how to help you, so I'm just going to leave it alone. Do not leave it alone. Put it before the Father. God, I don't know what they're going through. But I know you meet each and every need because you've met each and every one of my needs. So if you could meet their need right now, give them joy, give them peace, Lord. Jesus, if they're going through grief, sit with them in grief, Lord God, because your word says to mourn with those who mourn. 
So, Lord God, I'm going to pray with them as they're going through their grief that you're keeping them and you're holding them and your countenance is shining upon them. And whenever you open the door right now, Lord God, whenever you open the door for me to share something encouraging with them, let me show up and look like you. In Jesus' name. See, some of us are so concerned with saying the right thing when we're not saying it to the right person. Because God can touch where we can. You know how powerful it is when, when, I was, when I was grieving, right? And someone would come up to me and I'm like, they're like, how are you doing? And I'm like, you know, just going through it. And they're like, I've been praying for you. Oh. You know how powerful a testimony is when your coworker, when your neighbor goes, hey, man, I've just been going through it. And you can say, I've already been praying for you. God put you on my heart by name. I've already been going to the Father for you because there's nothing I could do to figure this out, but I know he can. So she goes and says, hey, put on these clothes. And she means well. She means well. She means well. But she just, they didn't talk. And so what happens? So she goes, so Hathik um, goes to Mordecai. And Mordecai tells her the story. And Mordecai tells her, like, hey, Haman's about to kill all of our people. He got, he got a cosign from the king to wipe us all out. This is what's going on. Like, and I know you don't know, and I know you don't know about it, but this is why I'm grieving is because we're all going to die. And, 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 and we need something to happen. So here's what it says. It says, Hathik in verse 9 went back and reported to Esther what Mordecai had said. Then she instructed him to say to Mordecai, because, oh, excuse me, I'm sorry, I skipped a little bit. Mordecai tells her like, hey, um, we're all about to die, and you're the queen, so... Can you go before the king and plead for mercy? Like, we're in a dire situation. It is crisis right now. We are all about to die. Could you go for the king and just plead for mercy and ask him to, like, recall that and, and not do that? Could you tell him the evil plot that Haman is doing? And Esther rep replies to Mordecai, and she goes, Hey, um, I haven't seen the king in 30 days. He hasn't requested me in 30 days. So life is good for me right now, okay? I haven't had to, like, be around him. I'm the queen. I got all my attendants catering, catering, catering to my needs right now. I haven't seen him, so life is good. And um, uh, Mordecai, just in case you don't know, if I go before the king and he didn't call me, before I say a sentence, he can sentence me to death. You, you get that, right? He's like, you, you understand that if I just, I can't just waltz up in the courtroom like, hey, king, this is not that type of thing. If I go before him without being requested, I, I can die. You cool with that? I'm not. I don't want to go before the king if, I'm, if he's going to put me to death. And she's the queen. That's the thing. She's the queen. So what does Mordecai say back to her? He says, <laughs> verse 12, Mordecai, verse 12, it says, when Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. Don't, don't he's like, don't get it twisted. Just because you're in the king's house doesn't mean you're exempt from this. 
For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. There are some powerful things Mordecai says right here that I want us to pay attention to. Verse 12, point number one, you can write this down. When one suffers, he says, you think you're going to get away? When one suffers, we all suffer. Don't think that just because you're in the king's palace, this exempts you from this. Because it's only a matter of time when he finds out that you are a Jew as well and you fall under this edict. How many of us have been in a similar position where we think, oh, I'm not close to my family anymore, so these troubles don't have to bother me. I'm not close to this person anymore, so these troubles don't bother me. I'm not close to this job anymore, so these troubles don't bother me. And that is a lie. Because all of us know that even though we're not near our family, family drama still follows. Why does it follow you? Because it's in you, baby. It's in you. So Mordecai tells her, like, don't think just because you're far from us or you're in a higher position that you're exempted from this as well. Some of us have this weird mindset to think that because we're not close proximity-wise, we won't have that problem, and that's not true. That's so far from the truth. You, because and you want to see how it comes up? It comes up in relationships. It comes up with how we think. It comes up with how we relate to people. And we're like, why do I think this way? Why do I feel this way? I thought I got away from my family. You just carried it from a, one state to the other. From one house to the other. Some of us don't want to deal with the things that we've been going through. And we think if I can get away from this, it's going to change my entire life. And maybe sometimes that's true. But a lot of the time, it just, it just masks itself as something else. He tells her, like, this is you too. See, the generational curse that came over your family, and I know I talk about it often because the generational curses are real, okay? You got, we have to get comfortable with knowing, like, there's stuff that our parents, grandparents, great-grandparents did or said that have carried on through our DNA, and so you may not even ever meet them, but because that generational curse is in your family, it is in you, but I want to tell you that there's a chain breaker, and his name is Jesus, and it could stop with you. You could be in a, in a bad situation wherever you are, and, but you are walking with Christ, so... You have broken the generational curse, so that edict that you're under is no longer on you. And you don't even have to live in a whole other state to break that. You could be right in the house that you're in right now. You could be as close to the family and be like, listen, I know y'all operate a certain way, but God is for me, so who could be against me? Because Galatians 6.2 says, what does it say? It says, when, we, when one suffers, we all suffer. Galatians 6.2 says, bear one another's burdens. So to fulfill the law of Christ. That's why Mordecai said, when we suffer, you suffer. And as a body, as a church, you have to understand when one part of the body suffers, the entire body suffers. You want to know how I know that's true? Because if you ever bang your pinky toe somewhere at night, it cripples your entire body. Oh, my God. Like, I banged my pinky toe the other night. I was like, oh, my God. Like, I wanted to throw up. And that's the smallest part of the body. You hit one, yeah, one of the smaller parts. 
You bang that pinky toe and you're just like, dear, just take my whole body now. When one suffers, we all suffer. Don't think just because you're at Pioneer Church, we're not connected to our brothers and sisters overseas who are being martyred for their faith. When one suffers, we all suffer. This is not an individual thing. This is relationship. When one suffers, we all suffer. When my brothers and sisters are suffering and they can't find a job or they had a loss or there's a breakup or whatever, when one person suffers, all of us suffer together. That's how you bear in one another's burdens, is that you find out what they're going through, and you're like, listen, I'm going to carry this with you. Number two, the second point, Mordecai shows his faith even amidst grief. What does verse 14 says? He goes, if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. Amen to God be the glory. He goes, even if you decide to be quiet, relief and deliverance, they're coming. It may not be from you, but it's coming. What a thing to say amidst in your grief. You have to understand that as you're grieving right now, and some of you guys are grieving right now, some of you guys are going through it, as you're going through it right now, relief and deliverance is coming for you. And some of us are, are like, oh, it's going to come in this way. That's not the way God works. Whatever way you think it's going to happen is not the way it's going to happen. It happens even better. What a thing of faith to say of like, hey, if you don't do it, someone's going to deliver us. We will get relief. We will get deliverance. See, some of us think that we're going to get relief and deliverance through a paycheck. And God is like, no, no, no. I'm giving you release and deliverance through my peace. Some of us want, think we're going to get relief by finding our significant other. And God is like, no, 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 I want you to find yourself in me. There's some relief and deliverance. Yes. Some of us want relief and deliverance through a friendship. And God is like, no, no, I'm going to release and deliver you from that friendship. Some of you guys started saying, God, I need peace. I want my joy back. I want my peace back. And he took away your job. And you're like, wait a second. He goes, that's my relief and deliverance. You were in the wrong place at the wrong time. Mordecai shows his faith. He says, relief and deliverance is going to come whether you help or not. Because the plans of God cannot be stopped. The plans of God cannot be stopped. He goes, Esther, it's not up to you. It's up to God. He will deliver us. He will bring us relief. And there's some of you guys who are waiting on a certain thing to deliver you and bring you relief. Can I tell you that relief, relief and deliverance is bound up in Christ Jesus. So you don't got to wait on nothing on this earth to give you that freedom. You literally don't have to wait on anything because it says everything. It says seeking first the kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given unto you. So I don't need relief and deliverance from a person. I don't need relief and deliverance from a paycheck. I don't need relief and deliverance from a, 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 a a title that doesn't bring me relief and deliverance only Jesus Christ anything bound up in Christ brings me relief and deliverance and it's bound up in Christ some of you guys are waiting for someone to come along and give you that Can I, there's no one on this earth who's going to give you that what are you what are you waiting for you can get relief and deliverance right now in 
next room, in your car, in your room at home. You can really, wherever you're at. But I think some of us are thinking, if once I become this, once I get this title, once I get these suffixes, then I'll be someone of importance. Then I'll be significant. And God is like, you're not significant because of a title. You're significant because I saved you. So even if that spouse doesn't come when you think they should come, even if that job doesn't come when you think it should come, even if that title doesn't come when you think it should come, even if that money doesn't come when you think it should come, your relief and deliverance is bound up in Christ and he holds it all together for those who are in Christ Jesus. So it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. Your relief and deliverance is on the way. It's on the way. He says, God has not forgotten us. God will not leave us. And then what I love is the last thing he says, which is so powerful. He goes, and who knows, but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. (laughs) It cracks me up. Um, cause if I, if like, let's talk about the relevance of it. Like she's queen, you know, and he's like, what if you came into a Royal position for such a time as this? And there's a lot of us in the room, honestly, we're working jobs that we hate and we're like, this is not a Royal position. Okay. I don't like my coworkers. I don't like my boss. I don't even like driving to work. I don't like any of this. So how could you see this as a Royal position? I want to, listen, turn to your neighbor and say, I'm coordinated. Come on, this is, tell them, I'm coordinated. Turn to your other neighbor and say, I didn't do that well the last time. Let me say it to you. I'm coordinated. There you go, that's how. You are coordinated by a divine coordinator. If you've been through any event in your life, if you've gone to any party, any wedding, you know that there's a coordinator. There's someone who is filling out all the details. I love coordinators. They make lives easy. They take all the chaos and they make it one flow and you're in one flow. So that's coordinating. You guys know that there's coordinates, right? Like the whole earth is mapped in longitude and latitude. Those are coordinates. If you are in Christ Jesus, you are coordinated. You are exactly where you need to be at this point in time to be a reflection of his glory to people who have never seen it. You are coordinating. You're at the right space, at the right time, and everything that you think is is chance or probability, God has already calculated it in heaven. He's like, you are exactly where you need to be. Why? Because there's someone at your job, there's your co-worker's auntie, your co-worker's uncle, your co-worker's mom, dad, sister, brother. They've been praying for them that that they would be surrounded by someone who loves Jesus. And guess what? I chose you. You are coordinated. You are coordinated. I'm not a, you don't want to know how well we're coordinated? That when people ask us, where are you from? And I say from New York, and they're like, and you're in Memphis? Yeah, baby, I'm divinely coordinated to be here for such a time as this. Where you're at right now, the job you're at, the school that you're at, the people that you work with or you go to school with, your peers, everything that is happening in this moment in your life 
right now is coordinated by God. And guess what? You could never, ever, 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 ever get it back. Because once your moment's the past, your moment's the past is gone. But right now, where you are in the position that you're in, you are divinely filled with favor to share the gospel. You didn't just luck up into this job by mistake. God doesn't have you here by accident. God has you there for a divine purpose because there are people that you're working with and people that you're doing life with that they're looking around their world and they're saying I don't see anyone who looks like Jesus and now you show up and you look like a reflection of Jesus and they're like wow you must be here for such a time as this as we are in Memphis right now you are not in Memphis by mistake you are not in Memphis by accident there is such a time in Memphis right now and if you don't see it there's a revival going on in Memphis right now and you're not gonna see it it doesn't look like a big tent it doesn't look sweaty it doesn't look loud it doesn't look like people being slain out in the spirit it's happening on an intimate level one-on-one -on -one, talking and doing life together there's formation happening and it's happening all right now because we are coordinated in Christ Jesus some of you guys are looking like oh when I get this job or when I get to this place or when I get this title, then I'll be coordinated. And God is saying, I've already coordinated you. I've brought all the chaos in your life. I've brought it all together for my good. And I'm going to use you for my glory. And I want, to, I want you guys to hear this. Please hear this. And, and, and people want to apply this to, to certain areas of our life. Do not despise small beginnings. Do not despise the day of small beginnings. Some of you guys just started at a job, in a career, in an education, where you're just new to it. You're new to it. And you hate it. No one likes being the, 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 the low guy on the totem pole. Do not despise the day of small beginnings. Why? Because I'm going to attach it to this verse. Hear me. Write, this, write that verse down. Do not despise the day of small beginnings. Do not despise it. Do not the, don't despise the day. Because what does Jesus say? What does the scripture say? I use these small things of the world to profound the big. Some of you guys are like, I hate being in this little position. I hate being recognized and looked over. I hate it. I hate it. And God is like, no, I want to use the little that you have, and I'm going to make it something big. I'm going to elevate it. See, when it says it in Scripture. He's like, when you are faithful to the little, much more will be added to you. God wants to see what you're doing with the little that he gave you. Are you going to steward it well? Because I want to tell you, proper stewardship comes from an attitude of gratitude. So if you're walking around your job and I'm like, I hate this job. It's fake. It's all right. It's fake. Just for dramatic effect, it's fake, okay? I hate this job. Your attitude of gratitude will determine whether you get more or not. So we see, so Mordecai tells her, like, hey, you may be in a position for such a time as this. Maybe God positioned you in this moment so that relief, God can use you for relief. Some of y'all been praying, right? 
And you're like, he's like, Pastor, have you been listening to my prayers? No, but I know how we pray. God, use me. Use me, God. I'll go wherever you want me to go. I'll say whatever you want me to say. God, use me. And God is like, go talk to your neighbor. No. Ew. Right? Y'all hate me right now. It's okay. Some of us want to go overseas and share the gospel and amen. But we're not going to go down the block and share the gospel. We're not going to talk to the, to the person at Kroger checking us out about the gospel. That's what blows my mind, believers. It's like we want to go overseas and share the gospel, and yet there are people all around us in Memphis where we are positioned that are so hungry to see a genuine Christ in people. But we'll look over them because we want to go. I'm not hating on no one. I'm not hating on no one. But it brings me to check, right? It, it, it puts a check in me. It's just like, man, I want to go share the gospel with people who are overseas and who speak another language, and yet Jesus asked me to share the gospel with the waitress right here. God has asked me to share the gospel with my bank teller right here. God has asked me to share the gospel with my, my coworkers and my boss, and I won't share the gospel with them, but I want to go somewhere else. And God is like, um, share it with them first. You are positioned for such a time as this. Tomorrow's not promised. Who you were, listen, I, I told you guys a couple weeks ago, I was in New York, and um, I went to the, I, went, I go to back to my job where I used to work, and, and I look at all the people who are there now, and it's very different from when I was there, and the culture is very different. And I realized, like, man, I didn't steward my attitude well, because I was so focused on the next thing that I looked at that and I'm like, man, I could have done better. And I don't let it hold me up because I'm like, you know what? I could have done better. I didn't. To God be the glory, I'm going to move on. I'm going to make sure this season is not like that season. I'm not going to have a repeat. He tells her, what if, you're, what if you're in this position for such a time as this? Some of you guys are in positions right now for such a time as this. There are co-workers and your peers and, and people around you and in your world right now that God allowed you to have the job that you have, to be in the school that you're in, to be in the world of the people that you're in in that moment because he's like, Jeremy, I need you to tell them about Jesus. Tasha, I need you to tell them about Jesus. Terry, I need you to show them who I am because they haven't seen it. Have you ever noticed in your life, think about this, the person who hates Jesus the most for some reason wants to talk to you? It's like, why do they want to talk to me? Of all people, I don't even like them. But they want to talk to you about Jesus because you were positioned and coordinated for such a time as this. Who knows? Maybe they had to go through seven different people that they couldn't hear the gospel for, only to run up to, against you and they could see it. They ran up against all these other Christians and couldn't see the gospel in them, and it made them more and more and more frustrated, and they doubted more, and they hated more. But for some reason, they walk up against you, and they're like, wow, you look like everything these people were talking about. Maybe it's such a time as this. 
when people ask, ask me why I'm in Memphis instead of New York, for such a time as this. It's for this time. It's for this moment. I don't know where God's going to have us next. I don't know what God's doing in the next. But right now, I'm going to steward well everything that God put in me. Because I want to walk around and I want to give relief and deliverance to everyone who comes in contact with me. Because I'll never know if I get this again. God knows. Next week, I may not be on this platform. Who knows? And that's not by in any way saying like, oh, we're shutting down. Heck no. All right? I'm just saying if tomorrow's not promised for such a time as right now. Why y'all think I'd I, I be getting up here and sweating and carrying on and preaching and getting tired because I'm like, tomorrow ain't promised. I want y'all to know I'm going out sharing the gospel. Tomorrow's not promised. Some of y'all, God is like, pray for them right now. I'm like, God, I'll pray later. He's like, no, you not. Pray for them right now. That's why when I walk around and I ask someone like, you need me to pray for anything? And they're like, uh, yeah, pray right now. Pray in that moment. Don't wait. Don't wait. We become so normal taking for guarantee our next breath. And every breath is a gift. He tells her, what if you came to this position for such a time as this? Listen, I want to focus on Esther now because Esther says some stuff that is so important. And I need you to write these things down as well because I don't want to diminish and be like, Oh, you took this. I don't want to take and be like, oh, you took this and focus on more. No, no, no. This book is about Esther and what she did, okay? So listen to what she says. Esther's a gangster, yo. Um, she goes, Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go gather all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. That's a gangster thing to say, all right? If I die, I die. What up? Like, that is so, like, thug. Like, I would never say that. If I die, I die. Oh, okay. I, what's funny is, like, if you read it, it says, so Mordecai went away and carried out all Esther's instructions. He's like, oh, she does? Okay. Esther said, if she dies, she dies. Write these four things down. What can we learn from Esther in a time of crisis? Esther met with Christ. This is the first thing she does. Let's call the community. Let's call the community. Because if I'm going before the king, I'm going to need people behind me. You see, some of us are being elevated to positions and ending up in rooms we have no business being in, but by the favor and glory of God. We are getting into positions and in rooms that we have no business being in, and we never tell the community. I don't want to, I don't want to tell nobody. No! The first thing she does in crisis, tell the community. Call them together. And then the second thing she does is, hey, tell them, call them together and tell them to fast. Because if we, I'm going before someone with influence, I'm going to need my community behind me, and I need them to be fasting. I need them on the same page that I'm on. I had the honor of being able to fast with someone in this church who's like, hey, 
a big decision is coming up. I need, some, I need you to fast with me. Could you fast with me? Yes. I may not do food. I'm going to do something else, buddy. She said three days. Tell them to fast for three days. And not only to fast, but fast and pray. Because there's one thing to go without food, and that's fasting. It's another thing to fast and pray and say, no, I'm putting away all my food to focus on all God is doing. He goes, she goes, call them together, fast and pray for me for three days. And go ahead, guess what? I'm even going to get my attendants who may not even believe in God to do the same thing I'm doing. Why is that important? Why is that? Hmm, I'm not even going to get there yet. She goes, call the community, fast pray. And then the last thing she goes is she made up her mind. She says, I have decided to follow Jesus. And if I die, I die. If I die, I die. But I'm dying following God. So powerful. There's some of you guys in the room who are being positioned into rooms and spaces that you have no business being in. And you know you don't either, because you look around the room and be like, what am I doing here? You're being positioned into rooms and spaces and you're meeting people of influence who have the power to impact your life. And you're going into the room with no backing. That's scary. You're going into the room without no one praying for you, without no one fasting for you. And yet you're around the kings of this earth. And God has positioned you around the kings and the rulers of this earth. And we're just walking into rooms and we're just there. And we're like, well, this, nothing happened. What would it look like if we as believers are like, I'm going into this room with the rulers of this earth, the law people of this earth. I need my community to pray and fast for me because I want to say something that can impact my life and the life of the people around me. So God, I know you have me in this position, so I need you to come. See, that's, that, there's power in prayer. There's power in prayer. Some of We can't just think of these as, oh, this was just a random organization of moments. No, God has specifically put you in a position to get you in front of people who can change your life and your world. And we're going in there with no backing, with no power, with no juice, with no spirit on us. See, it's different when you tell the community to pray and you start praying because the moment you step in the room, someone notices something different about you. You could be in a room of a hundred people. They may dress better than you, sound better than you, smell better than you, but there is some anointing on you that they can't touch. And they're like, I don't know how you got the attention of this person. It's happened to me in my own life. It's happened to me in my friend's life. They walk into a room, they're prayed up, they know they're entering a room with people who have a lot of influence and a lot of say-so, and for some reason, out of all the people that they could be talking to, that person of influence is just drawn to them. Y'all, I am not lying, I promise you. When you walk into rooms that you're not supposed to be in, and you start praying and saying, God, orchestrate me and coordinate me and guess what and I'm gonna tell my mom I'm gonna tell everyone who prays pray for me I'm walking in this room I'm not saying they're gonna give me everything I was looking for but God's going to give me the attention of one person who can make a lot of difference 
But what happens is we don't tell nobody. We keep it to ourselves as if we're something special. I don't want to tell them because then they want me to take a picture. No. You got to start sharing with your community the, in crisis moments and the triumph moments. Hey, pray for me. I'm, a, I'm about to be in a room with a lot of people, a lot of significant people who make a lot of laws or make a lot of things and in my space. So pray for me that when I walk into the room, that favor falls on me. Pray for me that every word I speak is not from me, but it's ordained and orchestrated by the Holy Spirit. Pray for me because when I walk into the room, I want them to see that this ain't no joke, that I got favor and anointing on me. Pray for me. We can't take this lightly, saints. Right now, in this world, right now, there are believers being called into spaces that have been orchestrated by God. And he's like, what are you going to do with it? Because I could tell you, if you walk into a room and you're like, oh, I have, I'm a good networker. I can talk my talk. It ain't worth it. It's just going to leave you hungry again. But when you walk into a room and you're like, I'm just going to speak to whomever I'm speaking to. God has filled me with gifts. God has filled me with skills. God has, God orchestrate my tongue. Let everything I say be for your glory. You just end up around people that you're like, oh, I didn't know you were going to change my life when I first met you. I'll tell you. And she made it her resolve. If I perish, I perish. I love that line. If I perish, I perish. Because she's telling Mordecai, if I go before the king, if God doesn't work this out and I die, I die. Some of us need to make up our minds. If I don't get the paycheck that I was looking for, I don't get the paycheck I was looking for. If I lose a friend, I lose a friend. If I lose a relationship, I lose a relationship. But all for the glory of God. I'm not doing this in my own strength. It's all for the glory of God. She made that resolve in her mind. If you walk into the room and maybe some, the person that you want to notice you doesn't notice you, it's okay. I'm okay with it. See, there's a strength in that line from Esther. There's a strength in that because it allows me to say, if I put all this out there and it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen. And God is still for me. See, that's why in life, we got to let, we got to, you got to know that God has got it. If it doesn't happen this day, it doesn't happen. I want to, if I perish, I perish. How many of us are allowing our influence to perish for the sake of Christ? How many of us are willing to let go of the bag and just say, God, if I lose it, I'll lose it? It all starts and ends with you anyways. How many of us are willing to let go of the relationship and say, if I lose it, I lose it? See, there's a God confidence right there. You give and take away. You give and take away. Lord, blessed be your name. That's what Paul said. I know what it's like to have a lot, and I know what it's like to have a little. And on through it all, I can say, blessed be the name of the Lord. I want to end it right here. Uh, look at the power of prayer. Look at this. Thank you for listening to the Pioneer Church Podcast. Let's go one step further. 
Subscribe and share this podcast with family and friends and see how this word changes their life. At Pioneer, we believe in journeying together. If you want to support this ministry, go to pioneerchurch.com give to continue to help us to reach people for Jesus. Thank you again for listening and God bless you.